Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joined on the phone, I have Vance. Hi, Vance. Good evening. I have Todd. Hi, Todd. I'm here. Good evening, everybody. And I'm going to change it up tonight. I will tell you that always remember that Corn Pop is a bad dude. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay. <laughs> and we have Greg from Leela Lures. Hi, Greg. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. All right, let's get these plugs out of the way, shall we? Uh, this show is brought to you by Fat AZ Musky Products, fatazmusky.com. On Facebook, on Instagram, look up Fat AZ Musky Products. Um, let's see here. Um, baits, we have some baits. I have not updated the website yet. Uh, please forgive me. It's been a busy, busy few weeks i know i said i'd promise to do that after the new york show um it's still technically after the new york show so i haven't lied about that it'll (laughs) Um, be awesome (laughs) it very well could be we don't really have any soft tails left we do have some regular eight inch raptors but on that front i will say i shipped 54 pounds of baits the second like the second of two part order to uh team rhino should have had those a couple weeks a week or so ago big order of baits went there and then i also shipped the second order of the year to musky tackle online so uh they're definitely going to have a bunch of baits there um when i've stopped being lazy um that's not really being lazy but it's, it's a fine excuse uh the website will have will be updated. Rod holders, everything should be up to date there, rod holder wise. So if you have any questions about setting up a boat, uh, reach out and uh, we can hash this one out. Figure out what's right for you. Todd, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishing.com. Get a hold of us. Fish in Pennsylvania here, early season. Stockwell Lake coming up. Still got about. Uh, how much at least a month we got about a month yet and then uh we'll be up there through november so get a hold of us in vance and i will do our best to get you out there and get you on some fish at the website TikTok. i'm excited for it mm-hmm. i'm excited for chautauqua because it's it's so behind right now uh weather wise it's, oh, yeah. it's snowed it snowed yesterday and stuff it mm-hmm. be a fun year up there um but if you do come out and fish with us uh You'll be fishing in two brand new Ranger boats. Todd is going to Todd's boat's going to look very brand new. Mine is going to look very terrible, um, and that's just because I don't take care of things. But it floats and it moves, which is great. Um, and so it's for sale. Out... <laughs> actually, the, actually, that this one is sold. So, so let's, I can let's be much. honest, right? <laughs> let's be honest. I haven't washed it once and I've popped the tire and who knows whatever. And I've hit the dock, but, um, Ranger boats, check them out. Get all your Ranger boat needs at Vic sports center in Kent, Ohio. Uh, they have a plethora of boats going on there. Uh, they are ordering boats right now and they have a decent, uh, wait time. It's kind of getting back to normal outside of the 622. Uh, that one is, is a little bit harder to get right now. Um, with a 400? With a 400, baby. 400 V-Rod. 
but uh, check those, check them out. Check out Dick. Shout out to them uh, for sponsoring us in uh, Muddy Creek and the show and um, St. Croix Rods, best rods on earth. Give them a fair shake if you're in the game for casting or trolling in muskies. Um, and I think that's it for me. That's it for you? Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Vance. Oh, God. How do your feet feel at the end of a long day of fishing? Accomplished. Accomplished? Mm-hmm. Okay. You're not really picking okay. up what I'm throwing down here. Well, <laughs> instead of feeling pain or weakness, <laughs> I feel accomplishment. Okay, can you explain to me why of, you feel accomplished? Everyone can tell we, we rehearse these. <laughs> Andy, it's it's what I'm stepping on. Are you in it right now? Uh, no, I'm not in it right now. But it's it's what what is underneath my feet when I'm out on the boat. It's it's kind of a look good, feel good, fish good style. Could you elaborate on on what I'm talking about? I think what you're feeling is not only like accomplishment, but it's a hundred percent cross linked closed oh. cell polyethylene foam. Could that be what you're feeling? You are, and I'm sure you're getting that from the Webster dictionary of for the definition of accomplishment. Actually, there is, yes. There is an edit on Wikipedia. I did just do this. Um, I figured. And what you're looking at is 100% stain resistant. So, in other words, you're not looking at stains, are you? Never. You know, you're also in the presence of -of state-of-the-art scanning to, to customize this for your boat. No one else's. And absolutely, absolutely. How else can you achieve your goals if you're slipping everywhere? So you're not slipping with this, right? I've never failed once in my entire life. And you're not going to start anytime soon, right? Not with this. I know. Do you think that it helps you by having some sound dampening? My eardrums are... Very, very pleased. How about providing style? The neighbors are jealous. Do you like easy to clean? Absolutely. That's uh, nothing that you got to advance about. I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> this one. Takes it to Vic. Leave my cleaning abilities alone. Well, let's just say this. There's going to be a section of Vance's floor that's going to be easy to clean. If anybody here knows what we're talking about, we're talking about aqua traction here. Just ask me. Mine stays really clean. <laughs> there's there's no way it does. It has seed dust all over it right now. <laughs> it, it probably does sneaking under the cracks of my cover, but Andy's pole, Andy's pole horn is insane looking. It looks like a female. There's, there's, there's seeds for years. 
L- literally. <laughs> it's what happens when you panic buy. <laughs> yeah, after our hook debacle, Andy was like, everything is going to be tough to buy. He bought so many, so many seeds. I, I bought. I was I was dying. I was dying when I was in, in the pole barn, seeing what it was. I was like, "Oh, this is a nice bag over here." And you're like, "Well, walk, look over here." Where <laughs> Go I, on the other side I'm, of my truck. Yeah, where I have a man door that is supposed to be like accessible to get into the building, but it's <laughs> fire. Code. It's blockaded. Yeah, it's blockaded like a Smith Smith Smithsonian museum. You can't get in. There's hundreds of pounds of seeds there oh we're talking thousands of pounds not hundreds and it literally looks like i'm preparing to have a flood come in and these are sandbags like i built a wall (laughs) we could have we could play fort yeah it's amazing so anyways that's the seed dust i don't know how this pertains to aqua traction but well if the seed dust will beat off of that no problem i know that and the seed dust comes from my me buying a cement mixer to get my mixes. That's what I asked him about that too. I was like, "What is this?" I was like, "Is this a seed mixing contraption?" You're like, "No, that's for cement." It's cement, but it works. <laughs> oh my gosh! So I, I know, I know, you would, you would love that. It's better that it's better than what he he was doing prior, which was putting <laughs> dumping them in, in the bucket, bucket of the tractor and stirring them like the the gruel that witches do at Halloween. <laughs> it was, <laughs> there's so much seed. Okay. It's genius, <laughs> really. <laughs> there, I'm like he's still on. I'm about to like pause this. Greg, are you around for this? <laughs> I'm over here. <laughs> so I guess I'll do a quick explanation. With the price of everything going way up and things last year, especially seeds, getting hard to get, I jumped on the, the wagon early and a lot of these seeds will have you know a really good holdover from year to year. So I bought everything I need for this year and next year. So it's 17 acres times two years times twice twice a year planting so <laughs> i could literally go and plant 60 acres right now <laughs> and you didn't see what's stored up in new york in buckets either so i've been hauling it up there when i make it there so anyways aqua traction uh, yeah if you need if you have some dust it is no threat to aqua traction. So if you're in our area, you know, Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio, look up Nick at amfmarine.com. AMF Marine is is his site. Nick at AMF Marine is the email. Uh or search out your local aqua traction dealer. All right. Greg. I'm here. You're here. Thank God. <laughs> I wouldn't have blamed you if you would have hung up after that. Um, the uh, tell us tell us where we can find Lila Lures. So I don't have a, a website as per se, but uh, like most small batch guys like myself, I just sell on Facebook. So I have a page called Lila Lures Direct, and you can just reach out there. 
and like most guys, Instagram, leave the lures. That's pretty much it. All right. Very nice. All right. Before we jump into the baits and stuff like that, we always tend to try to get, let's have a little history here. Um, Start where you want. If you want to start when you're three years old, sitting on the bank with a bobber, if you want to say, I got serious around this time, wherever you want, give us the history on how you got into, you know, making baits, but like kind of start with like fishing and stuff like that. So wherever you want to go, let's hear it. Well, I guess, uh, like I, I got into musky fishing cause my grandfather, he, uh, had a cottage in Bob Cajun on Pigeon Lake. So going up there, spending the summers, he used to take us out in the boat and he wasn't really much of a fisherman, but he would troll us around with some old plugs and whatnot. And, you know, like every first time musky catch, you know, you get a big gator on the line and it's like, holy crap, what the hell is this? So that sort of set the bug. I think I was probably about eight, maybe nine. And from that point on... I don't really know the name. They look like like a reverse torpedo. They had like a cup face, usually white and red. Uh, like They look like a popper, but they sort of went underwater and wiggled a little bit. Hmm. Todd, do you know anything like fun. that? Oh, man. Could be like a bassarino or I'm just thinking of some of the old school lures there. I don't know how long ago this was, you know. <laughs> This was like, uh, I think it's probably early 80s, 82, 85, yeah. and around there. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have had a plethora of uh, lures to choose from back then, that's for sure. No, no, but these were mostly like wood. Mm-hmm. Um, my whole family, is, they were all carpenters and construction workers, and, you know, they were heavily into the community, and so they, you know, they bought stuff from local guys, and my grandfather was like that, so. He had a whole tackle box of locally made stuff, so that's what we used. I couldn't tell you any names if I tried, honestly. Uh, (laughs) I was just a kid, so. And so your your grandfather would would take you around trolling. Were you specifically targeting muskies, or were you just, hey, we're going to go fishing and drive the boat around? Yeah, yeah, we were targeting muskies in that water. There's no pike. It's uh, musky and walleye, perch you know, bass, that kind of stuff. But there's no pike there. There is, they're starting to get pike in the Corsa Lakes now, but there wasn't back then. So, yeah, we were targeting targeting muskies specifically, yep. Okay. Right out of the gates, that's cool. Yeah, he was, he didn't mess around, my grandfather. He was a pretty serious dude, so it was go big or go home. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't really fish himself. He just wanted to drive the boat and be the captain and tell you what to do, you know? <laughs> Now, what kind of what kind of boat was this? It was actually a boat that he made. It was a, a Cedar Strip cabin cruiser. It was pretty cool. It was it, it, it could have hit some bigger water. It was it was built well enough for that. I'd say it's probably about 17, 18 feet, and it had a fully wooden top on it, and it was like a great trolling rig. It's pretty cool. That's uh, that's interesting. Not a lot of people make their own boats. Yeah. Yeah, prob- yeah. They probably saw it up there because I, it, it, back in those days, there were some old boats like that. We always called them guide boats for some reason, you know, but uh, that's what it looked like. Little enclosure up top, 
uh, all wood. That's neat. Crazy stuff. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was Robin's egg blue <laughs> and white. Uh, and it was a pretty distinct looking boat. Yeah. I, I, I have to ask. I still remember. What, what <laughs> happened to the boat? Is it still in the family? <laughs> no, I wish, I wish it was. Uh, my grandfather, he unfortunately passed. Not not too far after after that, and he was really the only um, boat captain and you know guy who was into driving the boats and stuff. So my grandmother let the boat go, unfortunately. But okay, uh, wasn't too long after that where I was old enough where I could get that little tin ripper and you know take, get out on the lake and be be the big boy with my little six horsepower <laughs> and just troll around thinking I own the world. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you got to get out there and learn somehow. Sure, there's a real good chance you were using baits that were just hand carved by a local up there without really much of a name or, uh, you know, something that you could relate to the musky industry at that time. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I do. His, uh, his taco box was passed down um, when he passed away to one of my uncles who is, he's an OPP officer on Georgian Bay. Okay. And he was he was a big fisherman, so he would he would probably still have those things if I reached out to him. He he's a collector of finer things, so I might do that one day. Just see see what he's got, see what see what kind of knowledge he has on him, because he would probably know. Yeah, I would absolutely want that tackle box just to see what it was, you know, and what you were using. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there was yeah. a lot of spoon-like things too, if I can recall little propellers in them and stuff, you know, those old, old style. I think Ladiano used to make some stuff like that too. Right? He oh. used little willow leaf stuff. Mm-hmm. He could have had like, you're saying like a popper looking backwards. He made one called the Tango that looked kind of like that. It had a batter head and that's what made it go down. There was no like metal lip on that lure, you know? Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 He had a whole bunch of those. Old school. Yeah, we also need the name of the OPP officer, just in case we get into a pinch. <laughs> Long since retired now, thank God, yeah. <laughs> he was he was an officer on and off the water, so, yeah, he's, uh, he's my great old uncle. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah. That's awesome. So, moving yeah, I on. Actually had, I, I, sorry, okay, go on. No, 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 no go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, when I was, like, in er, my early 20s, uh, I was out on Georgian Bay, and my my uncle actually pulled me over one time. <laughs> did did he know he it was you? Me. He did, yeah, he did, yeah. And he was all officer, no uncle. <laughs> Shake down, yeah. Those guys are different. Up there. It is way different to getting pulled over here in Pennsylvania or Ohio or New York or wherever I've been, Kentucky. And the, the, when the OPP comes, uh, they're all business. I think it's probably because we're from Pennsylvania and see the plates. They think we're out there partying and they want to, they, they check you out pretty good, but so far, so good. Run you through the ringer, eh? Yeah. 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 Pretty tough on us, but. (laughs) Bad American. Okay. So (laughs) he, there was no like little smirk or whatever. He was all officer. Like, did he tell me he wrote you a ticket? <laughs> he tried. <laughs> he really tried. 
you know, as a young 20 year old out of my own boat, ripping around, he thought for sure I was out there, you know, some sort of substance abuse or something, but uh, oh, no, I was, I was all business. So I was lucky. Yeah. He couldn't get me with anything. Okay. Not for lack of effort. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. So now you're, you graduated from, from the wooden, uh, homemade boat. Now you're ripping on the, with the six horse. Were, were you continuing to musky fish with that, with the little tinny? I did, yeah. I uh, I, I loved um, Bob Cajun and Pigeon Lake and Sturgeon Lake and stuff, and it was just so vast to me as a kid. So yeah, I uh, I toured all around and I caught lots of lots of muskies. Those those lakes have great numbers. You can go out there and if you're on a good day, you can get you know ten, twelve fish. So I had uh, you know I cut my teeth pretty good on, on those waters as a kid, but. As I got older and, you know, I got bigger boats and stuff, I wanted to move on. So I started uh, fishing bigger water and sort of fell into a, a hole of Georgian Bay fishing. And that's where I've, I've landed and that's pretty much where I stay. I've seen some haunting ghosts over the years and, you know, like every every musky fisherman, they've got that story. So I'm, I'm chasing, chasing the big one out on Georgian Bay. Well, when did you make that transition? Um... Especially, so you go from a a guide boat or a homemade wooden boat, and you got somebody else being your captain, then you're ripping on this little tinny. Uh, how do you make that transition into, well, I want to go on to the big water at this point, um, <laughs> especially if you just have a small tinny? Like, did you feel like you accomplished everything in these inland lakes, or did you just get this? passion to just go after one fish <laughs> yeah that passion was instilled early uh early on where our cottage was on pigeon lake it was right across from um todd you may know it um the gordon yacht harbor is right in little bob channel there was a free oh, yeah. launch right there yep. so our our cottage was the big lighthouse across the road if you were going into that launch you might have actually pulled into our driveway and packed your boat oh. down into the, into the water. So, so that little bay right there where all the slips uh, were from the Gordon Yacht Harbor, that was a, uh, a major breeding bay back in the day. So as a kid, I would see some of these huge, huge muskies early in the spring, around like Easter time, breeding and all that. So I knew there was bigger fish out there, and I wasn't catching them. I think the biggest, biggest I was catching in around there was maybe a 45 or a 48-inch or something around that. So I knew muskies get bigger, but I wasn't getting them. So I wanted to, you know, go on waters where I knew there was a lot more of them. And I just happened to have a friend who had a cottage on Georgian Bay. And he knew that I was pretty competent in a boat. So he took me up to his cottage and we, you know, we spent summers up there instead in, uh, in the Honey Harbor area. And that was sort of where I made the transition. Instead of going to, you know, Pigeon Lake and the Corthas, I skipped over to my buddy's property and I spent summers in Honey Harbor with uh, with his family. <laughs> About how old were you at this when you made that transition? Uh, 18, 19, 20, somewhere around there. Okay, so it didn't take long for you to, like, get tired of the home waters. And start looking for bigger. 
right? <laughs> no, it didn't. When's the last time you fished, you know, any of the, the courses there, pigeon or sturgeon or? So I do it every year, actually, because inland <laughs> opener was two weeks before um, Great Lake opener, before Georgia Bay. So Pigeon yeah. Lake opens the first weekend of June, and Georgia Bay opens the third. Okay. So I, I do opener on Pigeon each yeah. year. Still get down there. It's great. It's more nostalgia than anything, really. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I have such a love for the place. The same as you're talking about, I mean, I just grew up going there when I, from the time I was, but, you know, before I was even fishing, <laughs> they have pictures of me up there, and I'm looking at a couple on the podcast tonight from my basement. I'm looking at a couple cores of Lake Muskie's skin mounts mounted on my wall right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it went back in the day, didn't it? Wasn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what so was from that point on? I guess uh, it was just the the Georgian Bay dream for me. I was just out there chasing giants. <laughs> yep. And that takes me right up to present. That's pretty much what we've been doing ever since. Okay, so when uh, when the opener for the Great Lakes happens, you're just strictly Georgian Bay. Yeah. Okay, so about yeah, we go we do the whole eastern and northern shore. So I'm I usually fish in the southern area, which is um, Severn Sound, um, out to Giant's Tomb and up into Honey Harbor and and Go Home Lake. So that sort of area there. There's a couple of uh, inlets and and that's. There's a lot of boaters, but there's also a lot of fish. Okay. Um, about how often do you get out fishing, like an average summer? Uh, as of recent, it's been about maybe 30 times a year. I like to try for about 40 to 50. Okay. Quite often. Yeah. A little it, more than a weekend warrior. I, it, it sounds that way. If if, if your, your your goal is 40 or 50... Yeah, uh, that that's that's my year in minutes. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to get those jokes in. Well, that's great, Giants Giants Tomb. I I've been, I've been over there, Penetang Harbor, uh, Honey Harbor, Honey Harbor. That's yeah. where the. I guess it's kind of controversial now, but that's the Ken O'Brien fish from 1988 with on the Rapala walleye fishing. Yeah, walleye fishing. Yeah, that was actually a little bit north of there. That was the Moon River. They call that um, Blackstone Harbor. Blackstone Harbor, okay. Blackstone Harbor, yeah. But yeah, controversial for sure. But uh, you know, we still, as Canadians, still like to hold true. That's that's the record. Okay, (laughs) what I consider. So, (laughs) I I got a question. Really big one. Yep. Shoot. Why why is it controversial? I, I never really followed the world record stuff. Oh gosh. I mean, give me like. I'm five years old and explain it to me so I can explain it to someone else. <laughs> oh, that's a, you're opening a can of worms there. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Guy caught so there was, there was a guy walleye fishing who caught a huge, huge fish. Didn't mm-hmm. know anything about the fish or whatever, but he was at, he brought it up to the shores of a lodge that he was staying at and they proceeded to immediately cut the throat of the fish or maybe they did that in the boat but either way yeah. they they killed the fish and kept it so they'd hung it and they had you know it was bleeding down so they had apparently taken a hose and 
sprayed the fish down. So they say that the weight of the fish was, was water in the belly. But it was no doubt an, an absolute brute of a fish, but it might have had water in the belly. So that's where the controversy comes from. <clears throat> okay. They slit the throat and hung it. Yeah, to get pictures. I mean, the pictures, the ones that you see of him on the dock, that were that was apparently before the the hose thing happened. That was right when they pulled the boat up. So there's actually some some good recants of this story. Um, Muskies Canada was having an event that weekend, and they were staying at the same lodge. So when that fish was caught, a whole bunch of people were there. Um, Vance, you probably know of Hose Bates and, and Hoser and Sean Mahar, and he's got they were, they were, the, they were they there. there. They were there, yeah. And he's got pictures of himself with the fish, and so there's some locals here that have, you know, firsthand knowledge of the story and stuff. But they all say it was a, it was a genuine, you know, 56, 57, 58 inch fish, and and huge, huge belly. But you never really know. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's. That's the sad part to me. I mean, I don't know how we got into this discussion. We've never talked about these records, but, you know, to me, that hap- these other records that everyone disqualifies, you're talking about back in the, you know, 30s, 20s, 30, you know, 100 years ago, and these people came clean, said they put weights down their belly. And I, I didn't know that the way that happened, but I knew there was a lot of people around you to have thought, I believe this happened in 1988. It was somewhere around that time. Uh, I think so, yeah. I, you would think that they could have justified or verified that, or someone would have called something out if that really happened. That's the part I've never understood about that fish. 65 pounds, some odd ounces, and all those people, musky fishermen, I don't know how they, I don't know how that slid by, like, you know, and it was verified for many years, and all of a sudden, now they had water in there. You would, right. I just, that makes no sense to me and it never has and it never will that everybody was there hundreds of people is from what i hear uh yeah there was a lot yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, i think the, the measurements are what you fall back on in, in that mm-hmm. sort of circumstance there's there's many formulas that come up with yeah. the weight and uh, i believe they did actually weigh the fish and that was how they got that weight but the measurements still hold true the fish was whatever the whatever it was 30 inches or you know girth on the thing you know i think it was 58 inches or something they said i don't know the exact measurements but it was still a, a true georgian bay giant um, oh yeah it's still in in that realm and and when you do the the formula it still adds up to those those weights giant fish. who knows yeah, yeah. Hmm. And it's like you said it's history it's hard to prove history <laughs> you know whether it's true or, or false mm-hmm Right. Well, right. It, repeat, it repeats itself, and that's why Tom and I go out every day and catch the world record. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I'm I don't want to dwell too much on, on on the uh, world record. Yeah, I don't want to do the the world controversy stuff. But I I I guess I yeah. never really heard why why that was uh, so controversial. But. All right. So it's you... cool to hear it's it's cool to hear a Canadian aspect of it where absolutely uh, you know because we we hear things down here but then there's a whole crew up there that uh, have have the memory of it which is cool we can go down that wormhole some other time but 
continuing. You know what? I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I was, I'm in the same Muskies Canada chapter as, as Hoser. And I've been to a few meetings where he's, he's, you know, graced us with those pictures. And, you know, he's got, he, he puts on an annual party each year called the Hose Fest. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, all those photos are there. So you can get to see them. And, you know, you can see other photos that he's caught fish that are 50 pounds and stuff. And you see him holding that fish, and it's just way bigger. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Yep. So now you're tooling around Georgian Bay a lot. Is it, I mean, I, I can kind of answer my own question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Apparently there's there's enough of a size in a strike ratio versus time spent in the boat to keep you interested. Is it does do you feel the bay lives up to its hype that you know like I've never been there I probably never will be there but you always hear the hype. How do you think it actually like lives out? <laughs> it depends on what you're doing <laughs> honestly. So to, to, to go back a little bit, when I was really young and I had my buddy who had the property there in Honey Harbor, and I started going up and fishing Honey Harbor in the summertime with him. Um, and I'll, I'll give away a little bit here, but, you know, we were using, you know, bucktails and, and um, you know, sledges and stuff like that, just your, your typical, you know, musky bait. And I didn't see anything. We were fishing weeds and shoreline and the, and the islands are endless. And I, I went years before actually catching a muskie on Georgian Bay doing that. Uh, it never really worked out for me. <laughs> it, it wasn't the, the tactics that you need to do. And it took me years to, to sort of figure that out. So in that realm, it definitely doesn't live up to the hype. But, you know, you move forward a couple of years and you network and you get, get to know a few people and you see, you know, other people catching fish or hear these stories and you get to talk to them and they'll give you a little bit of insight and, you know, sort of steer you in the right direction. So for Georgian Bay, typically you just want to fish deep and you want to get out there with bigger baits and, and troll around and, and do big fish stuff. So, so I started doing that and it, it, it ended up panning out a little bit better for me. And that's where it sort of rolls into the bait making thing. You want to get the baits that are bigger and, you know, there's not really a market for that. You go to like Bass Pro or something and you don't, you don't see a 12 inch, 30 foot diving bait. It's really hard to find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, before we, this is a great spot to transition into the, into when you started and all that with the bait making. But I have to ask, what is your personal best off of the Georgian Bay? <laughs> Uh, a 54 by 27. So, uh, I, you know, I don't, I can't say that's my fish. That's my best friend's fish. And we've been fishing Georgian Bay together for, for decades. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we caught that together. It was on his rod though. <laughs> so, but you're trolling around. So, you know, it's a boat fish and that's kind of how you have to put, put the numbers together. Cause you get one rod, one guy, you pack as many people in your boat as you can and you get as many rods out as you can and you try different water, you know, depths in the water column, maybe different actions and you're, you're lucky if you, you get one or two a day, you know, and sometimes you're very lucky, you may get four or five or you might go a week and not get one. Okay. So I haven't been up there kind of long, I haven't been up there in a long time. Is it, is it on the Georgian Bay, it's one rod per angler still? 
It is. I don't know why they have that rule still. It's a Great Lake, but yeah, yeah. it's frustrating. That's huge water. I, huge. We did that at St. Clair for years, and I, I haven't, you know, I just was wondering if they had changed that. I never knew that. So it's still one rod on the bay. Yeah, we have we have a couple of active members um, <clears throat> in Muskies Canada here who are really trying to advocate to change that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's tough to get anything like that changed here, like yeah, anytime yeah. soon. It takes takes a long time. Yeah. Now, if you go out onto the, I mean, where's the cut line? Because the Great Lakes. You're That's you- the north. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, so there are apparently, and I might be wrong here. I don't know because I'm pretty localized to the southern end of Georgian Bay, but there are a few areas on the bay where you can go out and you can add more rods if you're salmon fishing, I believe. And I think the transition to where you get into like Lake Huron, I think you're allowed more rods up there. That would be the north channel where it goes into Lake Huron. The water is the same. Yeah. Like there is no definitive line. It's still no. teal blue, deep water. It's vast. You can't see shore to shore, and you just all of a sudden are in a great lake. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That I always wondered if they changed that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully in my my fishing time, anyways, because I would well, love to get out there with a bunch of rods and would be great and get a few more fish in the boat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, at what point did you say? I'm going to try my hand in making these baits. <laughs> when I stuck a hose bait for the third time on a rock in Honey Harbor and didn't have a retriever to get it <laughs> and lost it. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I lost a few baits down there before I was, you know, sort of tipped to the scene of how to get them. And, and uh, yeah, so I was like, man, you know, how many of these am I going to lose before I just do something about it? So. Okay, so you, yeah, you, that was, you decided to do something about it. Where did you start? Well, I got a lure retriever for one thing. Okay, <laughs> step one. Easier, right? <laughs> well, <no. laughs> yeah, you that, need one of those. Goes, I guess that goes into doing big fish things, as you alluded to earlier, is fishing deep, losing lures, and then eventually adding a lure retriever. Right. Yeah, they go hand in hand. There's a few, a few local guys up here now who are, are pumping them out and making making a lot of them and making them more accessible because it's not something that you see everywhere. And this is this is this is interesting. And in, and in what sparked the idea to make your own bait? Were you like, I'd like to not lose a high money dollar bait and just make something with sweat equity into it? Is that what like yeah. your, your your airwaves and you were like. Okay, it's time. Yeah, so I, I I thought about it for a long time, and probably like you guys with Project X, you know, and the same thing. You're out there, you're trolling around, you're like, man, if this thing would just rip forward for me, I gotta figure this out. Mm-hmm. So it's it the same sort of thing. I'm out there, I'm like, you know, I'd love to be able to just get something that would just swim nicer, but not pound and still really get down there and. You know, I need a little more seductive action or something. So, you know, having a carpenter background and and being pretty handy with the tools, I just started tooling up a little bit and and dabbling in the, the home garage and just trying to figure it out. It took a long time, let me tell you. <laughs> it's not easy. There was 
back then there was no knowledge and this was, wasn't even long ago. This was like 2017, 2018 and around there. Okay. Um, you know, there's a few guys putting videos out. Like I think Brett Holder <laughs> nice. was, was putting videos out then. Brett Holder. But, uh, well played. <laughs> That's why I niced him. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it was a bit of a learning curve. I, I started uh, making some franken baits and trying them out on the water, and it wasn't really working out. So um, by franken baits, like many, yeah, but like, what was what was your first bait? Like, what what was the idea behind it? <laughs> I'm thinking of franken Frankenstein right now. <laughs> so I took I took a Cisco because we have enormous Cisco on Georgian Bay. They have like 16, 18 inches, and. I took a picture of uh, a deep lake Cisco that we have here. We have a couple different strands of them. So I photocopied it and I traced that out on some paper and I made this really symmetrical fish shape, kind of like the Jesus fish, you know, that little outline. That's like a perfectly symmetrical okay, fish yep, with a tail. Yep. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it looks like that. And uh, it had a square lip like uh, a matlock or the headlock. So I was going for an action similar to that, something erratic but not too aggressive. And uh, it was ugly as hell. <laughs> Didn't really work great. Didn't catch any fish on it. Trolled it around a lot. But, uh, That's a big investment um, for one rod a person. Like It is. Like, it, like if I made it. a garbage bait and I threw it on one of, a, one of the three rods I'm allowed, eh, so be it. But <laughs> for you, this is like, well, I'm putting all my marbles right here. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not like if I was in Pigeon Lake, maybe I, I, I wish I had a little bit more smarts about me at the time, but I should have gone to maybe Lake St. Clair where you can get some good numbers or, you know, that you're going to be in a fish, fishy zone and, uh, you know, test your baits there. But well, I was stupid and I'm going out in the middle of Severn Sound <laughs> and trolling around. So. Yeah, maybe it was the year, maybe it was the time, maybe it was me, maybe it was the bait. Who knows? I, I, I moved away from that from that bait, though, because it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the action I was really looking for. I wanted something a little more smoother, a little more swimmy action, less uh, erratic pounding. Although it was a nice shape. I did like it, but I just totally went away from it. And you know what actually helped me out there was Lydio, um from Blue Water Baits. He reached out to me online. And, uh, you know, we got to talking and he steered me in the right direction as to, you know, stuff that works a little bit better. And, and he gave me some pointers. All right. And these pointers, do you think helped you with the next one? Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's a very forthcoming dude. He, he, uh, he gave me a lot of really insightful tips and, and things that worked out and, you know, other baits that he had made previously that he wasn't making anymore that, you know, maybe shapes that work better and stuff like that. So, so that's where the, the current bait that I make came from the jammer, which is the nine inch bait. And it's, uh, I guess you'd say it's a drop belly. Um, I didn't actually do the drop belly first. I did like a, a regular symmetrical shape, but, um, under I feel like it, suggestion, it was it would be a bait that might work a little better. I feel like it doesn't look like a drop belly though. Well, it's I was very just... like it's it's very it's like a perfect taper. Thank you. Yeah, I, I I try not to make it too much. I wanted to still keep a good amount of meat. If you look at a 
a typical bait fish. They don't have a huge cutout in, in towards the tail, like a traditional drop belly uh, lure, like a shad bait would be. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a little less. So, so the that, nine inch is the one that I'm holding right now. Not that you can see me, but we have two for the bait review, and the bigger of the two is the one you're talking about. Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Continue. Yeah, that that's the jammer. It's a uh, it's a deep diving bait, and that's the one that I I started prototyping at that point. I made um, I made the initial one, which was. Uh, I called it the rod breaker because the lip was, it was the same style of lip. It was just a little bit wider and um, going out and testing it first initial run. I was using like a, a full composite rod and it dove way deeper than I thought it would <laughs> like way, way deeper. And I hit a shoal 25 feet down with like 40 feet of line out and it just bent the rod right over and snapped the rod. <laughs> so. I, I got the lure back, thank God, but uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty aggressive dive angle on it, so it was a little too much. So I cut that lip back and um, made a few prototypes, about 20 of them, to get it to where it's at now. To get what did you what did you find in that the uh, the prototype phase of where it's at now? What did you start with? What didn't you like uh, to make it? To where it is now. Well, the outside of the rod breaking. <laughs> I wanted uh, a certain type of action that was more of swim than a thump, and I find it pretty easy to put a toe point in a in a, a lip pull bait and get a really aggressive tail wag because uh, there's a lot of forces pulling on the lip and there's no forces at the back. But I was looking for more of a, an even pivot point in the way that the bait um, wiggles, I would say. So the pivot point moves back towards the middle of the bait. So that would give it a little bit more of a, a nose swimming, so to speak, rather than a tail pounding. And it took a lot of tweaking to be able to find that, that swimming action I was looking for. I'm making the, the, the bait... Swim like you were swim, saying yeah. right now. <laughs> I wish I had. Yeah. Are you making fishy swimming noises too? <laughs> I, I no, because people would think I'm weird. But swoosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do I, that when I'm out in the boat. Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the Sesame yeah. Street days. Bert yeah, Nerdy. yeah, days are day long out there. Yeah. <laughs> So on that big bait, the the jammer, what what are you what do you think the ultimate depth is on it? Uh, Thirty six feet is is the most that I've seen it hit. Um, I don't have a lot of them out there. I really haven't been making a whole lot this year. I ramped up production a lot more than before, but I think there's probably only about four hundred four four hundred and fifty after this year mm-hmm. out on the market right now. So maybe somebody else has one that's gone a little bit deeper than that. But, yeah, I think it's about 35 feet at 110 out. And at what speed? Around four. Okay. An hour. That's pretty That's pretty in- impressive. Are you using a 100 or 80-pound test? 100 pounds with uh, 
175 uh, fluorocarbon liter. Yeah, that's with, like some heavy, that, heavy. That deep with 110. It's a third. It's like a third. One third rate. Yeah. Because yeah, you. I mean, you, usually, I mean, especially at this, especially at four mile an hour. Yeah. You know, you'd think you'd have to go slower to achieve that depth or uh, use a thinner line. That's that's pretty incredible. I wanted something that you could get down there if you really wanted to, or achieve a, a pretty good depth at a short line, like with a down rod or something, not have to get a lot of line out, but still be able to go really slow and relatively fast as well. So it has pretty good action at about five miles an hour. I don't really like it at that speed. Some people might, um, but I think it swims best around 3.2 to 3.8 and around there. It looks the nicest to me anyways. For the action that I was shooting for, that's usually the speed that I like it at. Okay. Now, do you like do you like that speed year round on the Georgian Bay, or is this is are you developing like you know a lifetime fish fall style of bait? Uh, I wanted it versatile, but yeah, for me, I I fish really slow in the fall, and I fish really fast in the summer, and that that bait is something that I I feel like I could do both with. So I was happy with that once. Uh, once I finally got to that prototype where it, it did that, I went up to seven and a half, eight miles an hour and it still stayed true and wasn't blowing out on me and flew right down to one and a half and it still moved well. It, it dove, it stayed under and it looked good. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. That's right. <laughs> the, uh, so that's the nine inch and now I'm holding one that's probably closer to seven inch. It's spud. The spud. Yeah, so that one is a flat-sided bait. Um, I guess we could get into the construction of them after, but the spud was, I felt like there was a hole in in what I was giving people, and, and there was a bigger market for smaller baits. So I was looking at templates that I had made um, that I had just sized up and down on the computer, and this little template of a little six-inch bait was really calling out to me, so... So I started making that, and then when I actually got the bodies made, I was like, me, I don't want to be, like, uh, putting my fingers that close to the router. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I sized it up to seven, and I made some really big jigs, <laughs> and I kept my fingers away, and it, it landed pretty good with the seven-inch. <laughs> still small enough, but still, still a musty bait. Yeah. Now, how did you come up with the name? I never would expect it to actually, be named after a potato. <laughs> yeah, so they're they're all uh in uh they're honorary names of, of our dogs. Okay. So Gammers was a nickname for our, our now passed on uh Dashound Frankie Potatoes. <laughs> okay. And Spud. Spud Love is it. now our, our new puppy and uh his name is Spud Muffin and that's where the little Spud comes from. So Okay. Awesome. Yeah, we're a dog family. That, that, no, that, that, it's it's nice to kind of figure out where some of these names come from because I'm like, I don't see anything that resembles a potato on this thing. I'm I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to like get like, where's this angle at? <laughs> yeah, it was sort of going off the the spud is like a small little potato, so that was where I was downsizing in the spud and yeah, the name. 
Spud Muffin. Okay. He's our Spud. All right. So talk talk about the Spud. So the Spud, yeah, I was I was, like, there's a lot of guys who who want smaller baits. Uh, Lake St. Clair is a big fishery where you know baits that have a, a different action, more of an erratic blocking action, seems to work well. So I was shooting for that again, like I was with the original Franken bait. And uh, yeah, that little bait, flat-sided bait, easier to make. It sort of landed right in that zone. It was pretty easy to to get that action I was looking for. And I just wanted to make it <clears throat> a little simpler um, and something that had really good movement in the water. And it was smaller and a little bit better of a price point too because it's a, a flat-sided bait is much easier to make so and quicker. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came from. Okay, and, and the one that I'm holding has an aluminum lip. Is that what all of them have? It's but yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, so the reason why I, it has an aluminum lip isn't isn't necessarily for function. It was because I had another friend who who um, was selling a, a a lot of lips that he had left over, and I just bought the lot off of him. So I had been sitting on those lips for a while, and they were swatted lips. So it worked out for a nose pole bait, so I could put the through wire through the swat in the lip, and it would it would true up, and it was a nice easier way to make it. Okay. It, was just, it wasn't for uh, action like the jammer uh, in the build. It was more so just trying to fill a hole and using up what I had. All right. Do you Have you tried one with like a Lexan lip? Or you just said, I'm going to make it with the aluminum. This is what I'm going to do. I have. I have. Yeah, it doesn't run as well. I think the weight of the aluminum, uh, neither of the baits have weight in them. Mm-hmm. And I think the weight of the aluminum has a bit, it plays a big role. Okay. Uh, kind of counterweights it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it, a, it's more of a, to me, I would think it's more of a faster movement bait where you'd want to be going you know, four and a half to six maybe and, and get it out there and let it just sort of dance around. It has a pretty good erratic wander to it. It hunts for center. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Okay, and what what kind of what kind of depth are you seeing on this? It's a shallow bait. I I think the max I've seen it go is about thirteen feet. No, I mean that's not too shallow. I mean comparatively, yes, but that's uh. It still gets there. Yeah, yeah. It still gets there. I, it it hit that at about sixty feet out, fifty sixty feet out, and then it sort of came up from that point. And then we were doing that on the the panoptic, so it was. I think it was um, marking the aluminum lip on the on the bait. So. <clears throat> you just brought up the panoptics thing. Ha, do you guys see a lot of fish out on Georgian Bay when you're when you're shooting that stuff back at your baits? <laughs> we haven't actually got into doing that yet. Um, we've only recently got it, and we've we put one season on it, and uh, it seems to work. Where it seems the shine is moving forward with the trolling motor. And I think once you've gone over the fish, it's really hard to get a clear image um, of a fish coming up on your bait. When you're tracking a bait behind you and it's about 40 or 50 feet behind the boat, it's not super clear like it is if you're not moving or you're moving very slow in front of the boat. 
Okay. So it's really hard to see. I know there are people that do do that and they short line and they have seen their strikes and stuff, but we have yet to see that. So hopefully in the future we can get that dialed in a little better though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very nice. Now these, both of these baits that, you know, they appear to be a through wire construction just because I see the wire and, uh, what, what kind of wood are you working with? Or, I mean, t- well, talk like about the construction of it, I guess. About the construction of it, like how, you, how you're doing it. Because uh, they look like big stunners. And um, it looks like there might be some handwork in it. Talk to us about it. Uh, yeah, they're, they're all hand done. Uh, I use uh, yellow cedar. Um, it it's still has the same properties as, as a, red, a, rest, a western red cedar where it's water resistant and lightweight and very buoyant, so you can get some good action. Um, most lures seem to be made from uh, red cedar. Uh, the yellow cedar is a little harder to get your hands on, I think. But uh, it's, it's got all the same properties, just in a little more. So it's a little heavier, it's a little more buoyant, it's a little more dense and a little more water resistant. Uh, and also a little more rare, so it is pricier, but it's uh, really nice wood to work with. It has a very unique smell, actually. It doesn't smell anything like the traditional cedar. It smells more acrid. This one that I use is, is uh, Alaskan yellow, it's called. Use, use another, uh, define that smell as if I was a three-year-old. <laughs> smells like cat pee. No kidding. Is it coming? Yeah. Is it coming? Are you getting your wood out of your country there, Canada? Yeah. So it's it's I I try to keep I try to buy everything locally here. So we're I don't I just buy it from a local mill. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's sourced locally, but it is a local mill that I get it from. Oh, local. Yeah. But I think most of, these guys, most of my friends that, you know, the Leopardi and Dale and all those guys are getting that cedar. And that comes out of Canada. That they mm-hmm. use baits, you know, it all comes down from long trips. We do have a lot of it here, yeah. Yes. Our, our northern country is all cedars. Is all cedar, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it a little backwards here. So the, the spud... <clears throat> the way that the wood comes is is rough sawn, so it's it's done it's measured in different ways. So it's basically like a real two by four that I use. It's actually two inches by four inches. Mm-hmm. So when I rip the blanks for the jammer, I have that off cut there. It's about a little more than an inch. So that's where the spud comes out of, and that uh, that's a much easier build because I just trace the shape out on a, on a router uh, with a with a bearing and a jig. And it gives me the same shape each time. And then I use a different router table with a, a round over and, and the body shape's done. Everything is done beforehand on square stock. So I, I guess like, like Brett Holder, <laughs> I use a jig for everything mm-hmm. and uh, all the holes and, and through wiring and all that stuff is all done as a step in the process through a jig. <clears throat> okay. So at the very end is when you get to the shaping part and and uh sealing and so the spud doesn't have any handwork really it's all it's all done on machines it makes it nice doesn't it different... but the, oh, the, the, the jammer 
that the jammer does, yeah? The jammer is a tapered bait. So it has, if I could explain it as the, the nose and the tail taper in from the thickness of the body. So I've tried to give the bait a fatter belly, so to speak, in the middle of it. So in order to do that, it adds a lot of steps to be able to use a router to get the, the shape of the profile of the bait, so the roundedness to the body. So it's, you can get it pretty good. With, uh, with tools, with a lot of steps, changing different angles and running it through either a table saw or a router. Um, I use a shaper, actually. I don't use a router. So it's, it's a huge bit. It's like four inches by two and seven eighths. So I've made extensive jigs to keep myself about two feet away from it because <laughs> it spins at 35,000 RPM and it's screaming, I want to eat your fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah, I try to stay away from it all. I've tried to make it as safe as possible. Once I get all those steps done, it's uh, it's basically hand shaping it with a spoke shape and uh, getting the tapers nice and, and symmetrical and sanding it from there. Again, the same thing, all the holes and eye sockets and lip slot, that's all done in square stock initially, so they're true in the square in the center of the, the bait is, is all dialed in beforehand from square stock. So it's even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the jammer right now. It looks like it sucks to make. <laughs> I'll just put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. The jammer. So initially it was about a seven hour bait to make. Wow. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It really, really sucked. <laughs> the first year I made them, I think I made 30. Uh, yeah, it really sucked. So I had to spend some time in making some good jigs and trying to make the cutting down on the steps of the process. I'm at about 48 steps to get the jammer to finished. Um, that's with a pretty easy paint pattern and a, a low number of epoxy coats. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the patterns like the Cisco that I think you have there, Andy, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's got a lot more layers to it. I think it's got about seven in the finish process to get mm-hmm. it to uh, a finish pattern. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit time-consuming. I think I've got it down to about four hours now <laughs> of date, but still it's, it's pretty time-consuming. So I, I like to break it up switching back and forth between the, the jammer and the spud in the, in the wood shop. Cause the spud, you get a little more reward quicker. <laughs> so you can do batches smaller, maybe 20 of them and you can punch them out in a few hours and, and you're, you actually have a, like a ready finished product for, for sealing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the jammer, you might have one or two <laughs> in that amount of time. So it's a slow process there. So I'm holding like five hours of your life right here. <laughs> yep, you are. <laughs> yeah, that pattern is. I I have many images of uh, the Georgian Bay Cisco. It's a uh, it's a fish that's always fascinated me, and that's what I've tried to get. I do many different variations of it, but I I love that that bait fish, and uh, that pattern there is one that I've tried to put a lot of work into to try to get it looking like a somewhat real fish i'm terrible with an airbrush so i'm learning you know it's it's been a few years but i don't i'm not artistic in any way i don't have uh i couldn't 
sketch anything real or, or paint anything to save my life. But with the airbrush, I'm slowly learning tricks to be able to work in conjunction with other tactics and, and techniques where you can sort of put something together that resembles scales or a real fish or a gill plate or something. It's fine, though. Yeah, you, you nailed it on this one. Just I, I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm critiquing it, and making mental notes because I'm good, that's going to be my job here soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- there is, I was telling Todd, I said, there, there's you like, mean by job, job, you mean you're going to start painting like that? No, by job as in, <laughs> I'm going to be having a conversation, taking notes so we can uh, do this bait review properly. <laughs> um, I say I take all criticism as a, as a positive in the end, you know, it's something that you can work on to, to better the end result. So I, I hope you'll give me blunt honesty. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to throw a lot of negatives, but if you want me to nitpick this, I, I can, I can give you some, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Please well, do, well yeah. I'll, I'll give you one right now is there's not, <laughs> there's not one for myself in this package. <laughs> <laughs> I know that because uh, beforehand we, we had spoke previously in the past saying, hey, I'm going to give you some. And then you guys started this bay review and I was like, ah, dang, I got to send you like eight of them now. <laughs> give me a week of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah, th- there is. Let me come crash on your couch while I do that. Yeah. <laughs> Seven hours. <laughs> Yeah, there is a lot of sneaky detail in this pattern. That is, I I, I hope whoever whoever gets this, um, you know, because you know we haven't really hammered on, even though we probably should the bait review. Um, th- this is this is going to be a really big prize. So, um, yeah, but we got to hold got to hold that off a little bit into the summer here. Because yeah, we'll you got to give them give them a good test. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we're we're going to be doing a lot of uh, casting that first of the season, and I know I'm not going to put that out in Pennsylvania or because the bait review would be like, "Here's my review. It's on a log." Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll care. I'm terrible with that. Anybody have a log? I didn't even think of that. A lure if retriever for me. And we just snag if we snagged one up. Yeah, <laughs> and like one of the three of us or four of us that were reviewing it just completely <laughs> lost the bait. <laughs> Can I bum you for another four hours? <laughs> no, <that would suck. laughs> you know, that's actually something that's gone through my head before is, is, uh, you know, selling somebody a, a lure and a handmade lure and, you know, their, their price reflects the amount of work that goes into them. And they put it on not realizing the initial dive curve of it because yeah. it is it is steep. And crashing it down in some rocks and losing it and not having a lure retriever. And I guess I would be reliving some of my past horrors. So um, those jammers I send with a leader just to make sure that, you know, this is at least a baseline of what you should be using with a lure like this, because yeah. uh, it might go a little deeper than you're aware of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So here's your warning. I'm supplying you with terminal tackle. Our reservoirs down here, you know, they just throw logs and there's trees down there randomly, and 
uh, sometimes the Lord Retriever does not work because of that. It's not just yeah, rock. It's not a hundred percent. Yeah, it's not a hundred percent. If you're using yeah, a bake so that goes thirty-five work. down in a reservoir that averages ten, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the, with the spud going well, twelve is like I spend a lot of my time fishing in fifteen feet of water or less. So, yeah. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but very nice. Yeah, that's a, yeah. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say, yeah, that would be a thing of horror using a a brand new bait and and losing it to the lake the very first time out. Oh, especially it, it, when it, it's it, for our cause. Oh, spe- <laughs> yeah, especially for the lure of you. <laughs> the, like yeah. the, sorry, I lost it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess, is there anything else you want to talk about on this, on the baits? Um, yeah, a lot of people ask, uh, why, um, why the Lexan lip and why a quarter inch Lexan lip? Mm -hmm. And it was actually video. Sorry. That's slide. Thinking somebody's at at the store. Okay. (laughs) Love it. Hello, (laughs) Spud. (laughs) <laughs> so um Lexan is actually very flexible and malleable and these baits are made with the through wire construction and the, the stainless steel harness to be able to take a beating and that Lexan will actually <clears throat> absorb if uh you crash it into rocks it won't it will flex it will bend right over and and uh, it will absorb it so the the shock doesn't go right into the wood where the lip slot is and uh, potentially break the epoxy away so that's why um, that's why it's quarter inch, and that's why it's it's uh, Lexan. I initially made this bait with the uh, one eighth uh, lip, and it was just flexing too much, and I could see the epoxy starting to to work its way loose from the lip. So even though you scratch it and you try to get a good bond, it would still. I could see it being uh, a potential area for water to get into it. So okay. I sized up, and so far so good. I love that. I love that explanation. You know, there's a, there's always a little bit of a talking point about, you know, the difference between this, the, 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 the aluminum lip and the Lexan lip. And, you know, I've, I've seen it happen. You put a nice big aluminum lip in there and you bang some rocks up there in the bay and it'll rip the bottom right off the, out of the lure slot or the, the you know, the slot where you grooved it for the lip, snap it right off. You know? Yeah, it can. Yeah, depending on the, the type of wood and the construction, or, um, you know, maybe how old the wood is or the epoxy. Yeah, it, it could. I've seen it happen before. I've had a, a few baits that I've broken the lips right off. So. It gives you a little bit. I mean, it's going to get banged up. It's going to get gnarred up a little bit. So does the aluminum. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It's the not- other little point is uh, something um, not everybody might notice, but the hook hangers are turned. Uh, sideways. Most most of these kind of baits are the hook hangers are in line. Yeah. With, with, yeah, uh, so you turn these ones sideways. What's the uh, what's the science behind that? It's just so a hook will sit nice and neat against the body. When you have a a split ring and and the hook the way that it wants to sit, it, it always seems to lean to one side or the other when you have your hook hanger straight. So I just felt like it would sit a little neater 
against the body like that. And so far, so good. It uh, seems to have less wear on, on the, the body shape. Okay. Is that a uh, extra step for you? And are you teeing your hooks, if you will? Absolutely tee every hook on a wood bait. <laughs> that's, that's rubbing against the body, yes. Um, and it, it does seem to lessen the wear, although it still will wear. Um, the epoxy I use is, is fairly durable, but it, it will eventually work its way through. I, I tee them, and I also bend the tips down. So, yeah. And sorry, what was the other question? Is that an extra step for you to put them kind of perpendicular to the back rather than in line? Like getting your through wire. Like when you're through wire, instead of like making the loop in line, twisting it and making it 180, is that a pain? Or Actually, I, I found it, the, no, the, the, it's the opposite because I do a figure eight. Um, the hook hanger inside the bait looks like a figure eight. So I do a loop and then I twist it around and then I do a loop and I twist it around. And um, these just fit in there nice that way. The, the wire can just slide right through and uh, it actually makes it easier. It's just a matter of um, aesthetically lining them up in the end and getting it to the right size. I use a bender and a jig. So they're all the same, but you know, sometimes they're, it, it moves when you're, when you're setting the epoxy and, and filling the bait filling the bait with epoxy and stuff so, yeah hmm. it's uh it's actually actually easier you know what's the first thing you do when you get one of these you turn it upside down and you you look down the bait and you look at the lip is it straight you know like so if you have those hook hangers and they're they're turned the other way and maybe they're slightly off or whatever you're going to see that right away <laughs> so right. i guess it's sort of it hides hides any imperfections as well you never guess what That's i'm doing right cool. now <laughs> yeah. Couldn't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Pictures before you, uh, sent the before you got on, and was it, what was the first question I had, Andy? You, you asked, "Are those hook hangers turned ninety? Sideways? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It's just I haven't seen too many baits like that. So. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's something. Different. Yeah, there are a few. Uh, I think. Um, Matt Watts are like that, I think. He keeps his sideways. And there's a few others out there that do that as well, but I think it's uh, probably for the same reason. Who knows? Yep. Just a small small little thing that I, I did just because I, I wanted to try to yeah. you know, keep the baits as long as possible. <laughs> yes, good stuff. All right. Yeah. Um, I If there's anything else, now's a good time to do it. If not... I'd say this is a great stopping point. Yeah, no, I think I'm good. I just want to take time to thank thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm a new guy out there, and, you know, I don't really have uh, much of a reputation, and I, I really appreciate you uh, giving me a chance to to get on air with you guys and talk about the baits. Oh, I we, we appreciate you taking the time, I mean, and donating to the, uh, to the lure... Uh, our little lure testing thing that we're doing here, the bait review. And, um, you know, this, you know, uh, we, we, we have got, oh, we've, we're, we're approaching a good number. We're going to, if we get a few more baits here, we might be approaching like maybe four shows worth. And, uh, wow. yeah, and it's, it's, it's going to be good fun. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to, you know, spread the word. So, I mean, it's very generous of your donation here and, uh, um, you know, 
beautiful job on these, so we're gonna we're gonna give them the uh, the old water testing. But awesome, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. You know, as a listener, I go back and I think back to the episodes that I have always played over and over again. And you know, I, I love my myself as a builder and somebody who's always looking to hear other builders and their their opinions. Those those seem to be the shows. Uh, obviously, aside from Vance's Canada trips, <laughs> those are the ones that I listen to. You know, the uh, the bait builders and you know people talking about their wares. Great. So I'm glad to be part of it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 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 glad you listen and go back and you know hit up some of the old shows. I mean, we're Todd and I were literally just discussing. We're like we're going to be finishing like our seventh year or something like that. That's fantastic. That, that's that's all. Yes, it's, it's got us all through some some cold winters up here. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm I'm glad someone's getting some use out of it. It's uh, <laughs> so that's 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 good. That's good to hear there. And uh, you know, like I said, I appreciate you taking time out of your night uh, to sit down and have a chat with us. Tell everyone where they can find your baits. Uh, Facebook page, Lila Lures Direct. It's a private page, so you have to just send a, a request to get in there, and I'll, I'll let you in right away. And, um, yeah, you can message me there or on Instagram. I have the page as well. It's just at Lila Lures. Okay. Very and, nice. Uh, yep, yeah, just basic pages. That's it. Good deal. Well, again, thank you, and a big thanks to Fat AZ Musky Products, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. St. Croix Rods, Vicks Marine, Ranger Boats, and Aqua Traction. All right, anyone else uh, who's interested in having a bait reviewed, please reach out to us. We're still accepting baits. Uh, I don't know when we're going to shut it down, but um, there's going to be a point where where we do. We're going to have to discuss a little bit more. But uh, please send something in if you're interested, and we'll talk more of the details. Uh, Hit us up on any of our um, outlets that we've talked about every week. So, uh, we'll go from there, but with that being said, thanks for listening and good luck fishing.